Good morning. We're in a series about conquering giants. I saw a story this week on social media about a pet hippo named Humphrey. Anybody else see that come across your, your news feed? I looked it up, researched it. The story's true, but it's not new. It was first reported in 2011, so why just now? Uh, I'm just behind, I guess, uh, but I don't know why it showed up this week. Here's the backstory: story. It's a farmer in South Africa, um, Marius Ells. He's 40, Army major, and uh, despite being warned that the hippo could not be tamed, Marius adopted Humphrey at five months of age. Uh, evidently, little Humphrey was rescued uh, during a flood. Little Humphrey became big Humphrey, like 1.2 ton uh, pet on his 400-acre farm. He would swim with people. This picture shows Marius riding on Humphrey's back, proving his critics wrong. Here's what he said. Humphrey's like a son to me. He's just like a human. There's a relationship between me and Humphrey, that's, that, and that's what some people don't understand. He regarded the hippo as lovable and a gentle giant. And evidently, that's true, until it wasn't. Just months after this picture was taken, Marius was bitten to, de to death by Humphrey, and his body was found submerged in the river. Lovable, gentle giant, how could he have been so deceived? You know what we think about when we read a story like this? That's what makes this giant we're going to talk about today so difficult to conquer. You're convinced you can handle it. You think you've got this under control. Well, you do until you don't. And when you don't, it will take you down in a heartbeat. We're talking about the giant of lust. And it promises pleasure, fulfillment, satisfaction, but it is a trap. Now, I need to share a word of explanation before I get into the message. I am convinced that this is a topic that needs addressing, and so we want to talk about it. But I'm also aware of our setting. This is Sunday morning worship. We have tender ears, the little children in our audience, and so I need to be careful with that. But I need to speak on this because the Bible speaks on this, and we need to know about that. I don't want you to be able to say, well, we never talked about that at church. See, ideally, I think that um, this is best talked about even more bluntly than I'll be able to for the next few minutes when it's adults only or, or our teens and young people to warn them and to know truly how devastating this giant can be. See, this giant is not just out there. We invite this giant in. Some of you may remember that... Um, Years ago, the television was called the one-eyed monster that we invited into our homes. But even with that one-eyed monster, you know, with network television, there were certain protocols when it came to language or, or uh, nudity. There were some things that just were, was not permitted on network television. You had to pay extra for HBO and some of those extra channels before that would be on your screen. But that's not how we access our screens anymore. So all those standards are pretty much non-existent. What's even more of a challenge today, it's not just one screen in the den, we have them in our hands. 
and we give them to our children. And we give them to our children at younger and younger ages. And parents, you need to be careful about this because when you give your child a phone, you are basically allowing this giant direct access to your child. We're talking about this giant of lust. I really think that's a, a good way to describe it because it is like a giant. You know, usually you'll, you'll know when I'm defining, a, 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 talking about a topic, I'll define the terms. What does this mean in scripture? I don't think we have to define this one. I think we know what we're talking about here. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Genesis 39. That's going to be our text because I want us to note and study how Joseph conquered the giant of lust. And here's what we all know in Scripture, that it's easy to open our Bibles and see not necessarily those who conquered a giant, but those who did not. And we see many victims when it comes to the giant of lust. I think about David. He's a victim. He conquered the true giant Goliath. And yet it was lust that took him down. I think about Samson, the strongest man to live, yet he was laid out by lust. I think of Solomon, the wisest man, and yet that was his downfall as well. There are so many victims, but Joseph found victory. He conquered the giant of lust. Now, Joseph is no stranger to us. A little bit of background, we're going to pick up the story. You remember he was the favorite son of his father, Jacob. Remember the coat of many colors? Remember the animosity that his brothers felt toward him, so much so they wanted to take his life? But instead, when the Ishmaelites were coming through, they decided just to sell him into slavery. Ultimately, the Ishmaelites take Joseph to Egypt. He's bought as a slave there by Potiphar. When you think of Potiphar, I like to think of basically the minister of defense. That was his role. He was a man of power. He was a man of wealth. He was a man who was in charge And he had Joseph and quickly recognizes Joseph as his slave was exceptionally gifted. So much so, we see the story telling us he was quickly promoted through the ranks. Look at Genesis 39, verse 5. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. So with the Lord's help, Potiphar is doing better than ever. So Joseph is put in charge of everything, the whole house. And the next verse tells us that he was not only a gifted leader, but note the detail here in verse 6. It says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. Well-built and handsome. Now, you don't often read about someone's physical description in Scripture because it's not often there. In fact, when it is included, it's because it's relevant to the story. And this is oh so relevant to the story. Because when you keep reading there, you realize that what happened because of his looks. Look at verse 7. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. So Satan sets a trap as only Satan can Joseph's faith is tested, and he is faced with this giant of lust. What is he going to do? Now, you know this, but this giant of lust is a giant that is hard to avoid. It's not something you have to go looking for. It finds you. You just turn around, and it's there. You just open your eyes, and you see it. No longer are the days when you have to go to a strip club or go to a store to uh, purchase pornography. It's all around us. It's in your pocket. It's in your purse. 
And it's, it's not that it's just avoidable, it's actually becoming more and more unavoid, uh, unavoidable. It's just everywhere. It's difficult not to stumble upon it. I read this week about a billboard at a busy intersection in Houston that was taken down. It was a restaurant, and they had two women that were very, wearing very skimpy clothes, and, and it was at this major intersection, and they, and they took it down. They finally had to take it down, but not because of the claims of indecency, because there were more and more accidents happening at that intersection. It's, you just see it. There it is. It catches your eye. You can be driving down the street, you can be watching a show, flipping through your phone screen, not intending at all to come face to face, and there it is. It happens all the time. It's hard to avoid. And for the record, this is not just an issue, a problem, a weakness for guys. Women also can fall victim to this giant of lust. In fact, look at the text. It was Potiphar's wife who instigated this. She took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Verse 8 to me is critical. If you've already been studying this verse before, I'm sure you have. You've studied the life of Joseph. If not already, underline that part in verse 8, three words, but he refused. That is so key to his victory was how he responded here, but he refused. I am especially impressed with how Joseph does this. He had so many ways that he could have rationalized this moment. I mean, think of all that's happened to him. It's been one misfortune after another. And he could have rationalized saying yes to this. He could have given in to this. Someone defined rationalizing as this, convincing your mind something is right when in your heart you know it's wrong. And isn't it easy that we, isn't it obvious that we do this more easily when it comes to sexual sin? We have all kinds of ways to make it okay. I think about Joseph in this setting. He could have said, God's abandoned me in Egypt. Why should I be faithful to him and live by his standard? He could have blamed his dysfunctional family. My brothers put me here. My brother, my, mother, my father calls this. I didn't do this. This is not my doing. He could have said, I'm a slave. I will never be allowed to marry. What am I supposed to do now? God gave me these desires. He could have said, it's everywhere. I'm in Egypt. I see it all around me. Everybody's doing it. He could have said, well, just this one time. He could have said, I've got to do this or I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my head. He could have rationalized it in so many ways. But he refused. He refused. How did he do that? Well, I want to talk about that for the next couple of moments to see how Joseph refused. Now, I can't help but think Joseph knew this was coming. I think, this is not, I think he knew he was handsome and well-built. I think he knew about Potiphar's wife. I think, you know, he's smart. He's managing the whole household. He's no dummy. He, he's a reader of people. He understands situation. I think he saw this coming. So if you're taking notes, here's the first point I want us to learn from him. Joseph decided in advance. Joseph decided in advance 
how he was going to respond. You've done this before when you're dealing with a situation. Hey, if I'm asked about this, what am I going to say? You know, maybe it's reporting to your boss or, or maybe about spending money or whatever it is. You, you know, we, we think about this and we plan ahead. I can't help but think that Joseph did this because it comes clear as you're reading through here. It's a quick reply. He's not stammering or stuttering. It's just, it, it's just there. And he's quick to give a concise answer. He was ready for it. He decided in advance. He's respectful. He's courteous. But he's drawing a line. Look at verses 8 and 9. But he refused. And then he goes on and quickly explains why. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. So a very rational, very logical explanation here. Why would I do this? This is not the right decision. This doesn't make any sense. And think about that. Have you ever noticed that with sexual sin... From a very rational perspective, it just doesn't make sense. It does not make sense. It's not the best thing for your life. Even without belief in God, take God out of the equation. God's standards for sexuality are still the best. Don't take my word for it. Or in a moment, we'll talk about scripture. But before we get there... Listen to this article from the USA Today. It's called Cohabitation, the Marriage Enemy. That's the title. The article said, These days when blushing brides and dashing grooms walk down the aisle, more than half of them are already living together. The article continues with this. But a careful review of the evidence suggests that living together is not a good way to prepare for marriage or to avoid divorce. But haven't you heard that? I mean, that is the lie out there, and people are buying into it. In fact, the article says that if you live together, it more than doubles your chance of divorce, more than 80% likely to divorce. That's the quote. Here's how it ends. By all the empirical evidence at our disposal, the practice of cohabitation, far from being the friend of marriage, looks more and more like its enemy. So even those who are not claiming to follow God are saying it just doesn't make sense. I mean, just look around. It doesn't work that way. It's not a good decision. Now, I could share more details if it was an adult-only gathering, but let me just share this. Professors at Indiana University found that repeated exposures to pornography results in a decreased satisfaction with your future or current spouse, decreased value on the importance of faithfulness, and unrealistic sexual expectation. So, forget for a moment that this is a sin against God, lust causes you to be discontent with your own spouse, more likely to commit adultery, perpetually unhappy just with yourself and your own sexuality. God's way really is the best way. So here's a question that comes up when we talk about especially sexual sins. So let's kind of talk about this for a moment. Are all sins equal? Have you heard that question asked? Are all sins equal, especially when it comes to a sexual sin? Well, one school of thought says, well, yes, stealing, lying, murder, sexual sins, they are all equal. And from a standpoint that any one transgression 
makes you a sinner in need of Jesus to die on the cross? Yes, that's true. Then all sins are equal because you are a sinner and you're condemned to die. But not all sins are equal in effect. You can look around and see that, but you look in Scripture and see that. Sexual sins are a big deal because, well, sexual sins are a big deal to God. He made us. He knows us. He knows how we're wired. He knows how some sins kind of get into our head. It damages relationships. The collateral damage is much more than others. If you'll make the time and read the Bible for yourself and not think, well, this is what I heard growing up. This is what I heard preached. This is what my mom and dad said. This is what I learned in Sunday school. But if you will read the Bible for yourself, you'll become convinced that this is a big deal to God. I'll give you just one example. In Leviticus 18, God's people have been taken out of Egypt. They are becoming his people. He's giving them the law, explaining some of the details there. And in that chapter, God tells Moses to instruct the people all about sexuality. And it mentions there these 30 verses, and it lists them over. Don't have sex here. Don't have sex there. Don't have sex with your mother, your brother, your sister, your grandchildren. And it lists all of these 30 verses. And over and over again in that chapter, he, he would say, this is an abomination. Anything other than that man and woman in marriage, it's an abomination. Listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. See, God's telling us there's a difference. Why? Because the consequences are different. Some are more impactful. And the giant of lust deceives you into thinking there are no significant consequences. This is just me. Nobody knows about this. I can handle it. I'm in control. Or at least there's no unwanted diseases. There's, there's no uh, uh, unwanted pregnancy. It's just you. Your, your marriage is not going to be impacted. Your children will never find out. You can be really careful and keep this a secret. But it's not unlike what happened to Humphrey. You're okay until you're not. And it takes you down. Now for some of you, this may be... a such a non-issue. The idea of lust, that, that's not, that's not uh, a weakness for you. And so it's there, and you go, oh, that's terrible. And, and you just look away. Others, all it takes is a billboard, and you've crashed your car. It's there, and you see it, and, and you, you, just, you just go down the path. And so we're all different when it comes to this. And if you're the one that's struggling with this, you may think the worst thing that could happen is if it was found out. That's the worst thing. Let me tell you, hear me clearly, that's not the worst thing. The worst thing is to live your whole life as a fraud. To live your whole life lying to everybody, including yourself that it's not a problem. And worse, you're pretending, deceiving, lying to yourself 
that the one who sees it all doesn't know. The Bible says a man reaps what he sows. Joseph decides in advance. Well, second thing to learn from Joseph is this. Joseph counted the cost. Now, we already talked about his first response, kind of his job, his position. just made no rational sense. But then he gives a very personal reason, a spiritual reason, his own conviction. The end of verse 9, he tells her, How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He calls it what it is. It's a wicked thing. He understands that lust is a dangerous fire. In Job chapter 31, Job opens that chapter there saying, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust. And then look at the screen, verses 11 through 12. He continues this thought. For lust is the shameful sin, a crime that should be punished. It's a fire that burns all the way to hell. It would wipe out everything I own. So don't be naive when it comes to this giant, this sin, because there's nothing little about it. There's nothing secretive about it. It's huge. Joseph counts the cost, but he refuses. But note, too, from this story, this is not a one-time proposition. Like, I'm just not going to go to that intersection anymore, or I won't go to that store anymore, or I won't go to that website anymore. Look what happens to Joseph. Potiphar's wife is relentless. Verse 10 And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, but he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And that's the way lust works. It's constant. You you shut this door and this one opens. You stop going down this road and you're going down this road and there it is. You think you've got a hold of it and Satan is right there trying to take you down. Because the giant of lust is relentless. Men and women, young and old, So don't think, well, this is just a young teenage boy problem. It's not. Yes, teenage girls deal with this. Old men and old women deal with this. Now, maybe not you, but for others, very much so. So you must consider the consequences. See, in these moments of temptations, learn from Joseph and count the cost. Think about your commitment to God and to follow him. Think about your own mind. Think about your own relationships. Think about your own limitations. See, this is where, again, you've got to be mature about this. Because when you're young, other people put the boundaries for you. And then when you're an adult, you can do what you want. You can do what you want. You're free. But you may have to set your own limits to keep inside the line. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But this giant is a relentless enemy. It keeps coming after you. And then number three, Joseph avoided the temptation. Look at verse 10 again. It says, he refused to go to bed with her, but don't miss this, or even be with her. So he kept refusing, but then he took it a step further. He didn't even to be with her. Now, that seems a little dramatic, maybe a little extreme. But don't forget, Joseph is a slave. Sometimes I'll I'll see online about, you got negative people in your life, just cut them out. Well, sometimes you can't do that. You're married to them. They're in your house. They're your boss. That was his situation here, right? I mean, he's a slave. He can't quit his job. What was he to do? But the scripture tells us he refused to even be with her. He did everything in his power not to be around her. Now, I think this is a very practical and powerful key to conquering the giant of lust. If I'm on a diet, I'm not walking into the Krispy Kreme store or Hattie James. I'm not even going to have ice cream in my freezer at home. 
You know, because I would have removed those things from my life. You cannot easily or as easily access porn if you've got a filter on your devices. Don't put yourself in a position where this giant has the advantage over you. Here's the challenge. You know, in our youth, we have boundaries set for us by others. You've got a dress code at school that you have to meet. Whether you agree with it or not, you go to that school, you've got to dress that way. We've got a curfew in our homes when we're growing up. You're told what movies you can watch, which ones you can't watch. But then when no one is looking, or you're no longer a student at that school, or maybe no longer living at home with your parents giving you that curfew or whatever that boundary is, what's your standard? Where do you draw the line when you now are accessing your screen, maybe not by network television, but all these other things that we pay for, try not to pay the cable company, but we've got access to anything and everything. What's your standard? They're going to let you look at. Don't put yourself in a position where you might fall into temptation, any temptation. Be real with yourself. Know that you have... A weakness. You may be strong in one area and not another. I, I heard a lady one time say, I can't, had to quit watching HGTV because it just made me so discontent with my own house. But well, good for her. She realized that she could not handle that. And the same thing when it comes to anything with sexual, especially in a place of weakness. What is your weakness? Be real with yourself and do all you can to avoid it. I think of this for Joseph, not to even be around Potiphar's wife, that could not be easy for him. I mean, he, he had to work hard at that. They're living in the same house. Granted, it was probably huge, but still, he was in charge of everything. And so maybe it seems extreme to put an internet on all of your devices, a filter on all your devices, or maybe to say, you know what, i got to cut HBO or Netflix or, or whatever it is, or I can't, I can't put myself around that person at work anymore. Maybe it's not easy. Maybe it is extreme. But be real with yourself and do what you've got to do. If you keep reading, let's be real because sometimes you cannot get away. And that's what happened to Joseph. One day, she sets him in the trap. Look at verses 11 and 12. One day, he went to the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. You think that's her doing? I do. I think she made it happen. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. Now, note how verse 12 ends. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And you know what happened? I would like to think at that moment, all the angels of heaven gave him a standing ovation. He defeated a giant by running away. Think about that. But usually think about it. So giant, I got to stand up. You know, I got to be brave. I, I got to stand my ground. Not always. In this moment, he was wise enough to realize he had to get out of there. That's how he was able to do it. Joseph is a great example. You decide in advance. You count the cost. 
you avoid the temptation. That's how the Bible tells us to conquer this giant. I think Joseph is a great example, but folks, let's be real about this. His life was anything but easy. And I'd say anything than pleasant. Now, yes, there were some sweet spots, but in between those sweet spots were years of not even knowing there would be a sweet spot coming. I mean, a hard, hard life. And even when choosing to do what's right, he seems to go from one huge setback to another. What does Potiphar's wife do? She retaliates. She's got his cloak. She accuses him of rape. And he goes to prison. <laughs> it's easy to read that and think, wow. Is that how God responds to you? Forget the standing ovation. You go straight to jail. That's what happened to Joseph here. But remember how the chapter ends. Look at Genesis 39, verse 23. It says, The Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Folks, he's in the pit. He's in jail. He doesn't know what's coming. And yet, this is, the, this is the commentary. This is the explanation. This is what's really going on. The Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. He's faithful. He's obedient. Even in prison, even when others are forgetting about him. Even there's no family, there's no spouse. There's no one holding him accountable. There's nobody looking over his shoulders. There's nobody saying, Joseph, you know better. Joseph, don't go there. And even when nobody would have known when no one was looking, Joseph chose to obey God, to live by God's standards. And the Bible says God was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now, I also need to say it wasn't immediate. You know, sometimes we're reading our Bible, we just turn the page, it's the next chapter. But you read the detail, it was two years in prison. So you need to turn a lot of pages to really understand how long, how hard that was. All those chances to wonder, God, did I do the right thing? Should I have just given in? Should I have had a moment of pleasure? Was it worth it? It wasn't immediate. And truth be told, Joseph had a very, very hard life. You ever wonder how Joseph would explain his life? We think of him as ending up second in command of all of Egypt, and he did. Saving his family? Saving all of his people? I mean, what an incredible moment of him. Yet how would he describe his life? Faithfulness. That's what God wants from all of us. Obedience. God has a standard in every arena of our life, and it's best for us. It is the best life. And God's saying, trust me on this. Believe me on this. Walk in obedience on this. So when it comes to handling your money, or it comes to handling your sexuality, or it comes to handling your relationships, when it comes to how you work, when it comes to, when it comes to anything, it's what do I believe? And how do I respond? It's not on the screen, but let me end with this verse. James 1.12 Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, when I read that, I thought, but he refused. 
Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. God is faithful. And he wants you to be faithful. Which means you obey him in every arena of your life. And he's seen it all. And if you're faithful to him, he's going to give you that crown of life. He's promised it. We're going to sing an invitation song as we always do. We're going to give everyone a chance to say yes to Jesus. So if you're in need of baptism, ready to confess your faith, the water is always ready. But I need to say this too. Anybody who responds today, I don't want anybody to think, well, they must have some sexual sins. They might. May not be as big as yours. Might be. One time when I was co-directing a camp, we had a special lesson. It's toward the end of the week. And if you've ever been a part of a camp, you know, the longer you get into camp, the more emotional everyone is. And you can, you can have an invitation song and you can talk about the leaves turning brown and half the camp comes forward. You know, it, it just kind of happens. Emotions gets the best. And so we decided, because we spoke very bluntly to teenagers about this whole idea, we didn't even have an invitation song. So I want to share that too. If we can pray for you and it may be about this, maybe something else. You thought it would come today. I was going to respond and ask for prayers, but not now. We're not going to go there, okay? Are we church? We're not going to go there. We always want to pray for one another. But here's the other thing. If that's where you are, we'll pray for you. We'll put our arms around you. This is one of those things where I'm going to raise your hand. Yeah, that's my struggle too. That's my, because it's such a personal thing. But folks, let's be real about this. It's in here. It's in me. It's in you. It's an issue. It's a challenge. And we don't want the giant to take us down, any of them. So maybe for you, when we sing, it's you just praying to God, God, help me. Am I in control? Is this giant getting the best of me? Do I, do I need help? Maybe you need to go to a good friend who will hold you accountable. Maybe you need to pull an elder aside. We always have one in the prayer room, but there may be another one that you're closer to that you'd like to, to connect with, call or email, set up a time, whatever you need to do. Folks, these kind of things happen all the time, not just dealing with what we're talking about today. People will call an elder, call a minister, call a friend. That's what the church is about. So we're going to sing this song. It'll be a time of worship, also a time of invitation, maybe a time of prayer. Let's stand and worship together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you.